Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Good afternoon, friends. My name's Sherman Alcoholic. Very nice to be here. I'm living in Western Australia at the present. Been living there for ten years. But I found it in, in England. Found it in, in Liverpool, in England, in 1971, when I'd reached my bottom. I had bottom very, very hard. I spent seven years down there. You wonder why the policemen in London have good polish in their boots, I can tell you. They're kicking me up the backside to move me on from the seats where I slept. Various places in the park where I slept. I've done those things. A has given me back my life today to do with what I want. I choose to stay sober. Each morning of my life, I get out of bed and I make a decision. A decision that I will not pick up the first drink for that course of that day, the day I live in. I'm honored to be here at this uh, convention. It's one of the biggest meetings I've spoken in front of. I've traveled England, Scotland, and Wales in my search for sobriety, in my adventures to get sober, attending meetings in these countries. After 16 months of sobriety in England, I approached my wife, who's sitting here with me today, and asked her if she'd start a new life with me in Australia. And she accepted, strange as it may seem, but she did accept. We came across on the ship, the Elmas, come from, from Southampton to Fremantle. And on the way across, as you can guess aboard ships, I was a shipbuilder myself on the Clyde side originally. On the way across, you run into trouble with booze on ships, on these uh, cruise ships. I ran into trouble. I put a notice on the board, aboard a ship, I asked the padre on the ship, have you put a notice on the board for me, asking if there was any AA members or anyone interested in a 24-hour-a-day program, would they contact him? And he in turn get in contact with me to give me help to continue the voyage. A couple of days later, I don't know whether the ladies in this room today they are not, there's a lady came forward by the name of Eileen from Sydney. She was a member of Alanon. And the book that I carried with me, which is now the property of the Duncraig Group in Perth, Western Australia, I was put on a table in the bar of the ship, in the corner of one of the bars on the ship, and we had meetings around that table. There was one other very, very important book that I carried with me on that trip. It was 1972 World Directory. I looked up the World Directory and found out where the meetings would be, where I could run into a meeting. I found there was one in Cape Town, South Africa. I made arrangements for my wife to go to Cape, go into Cape Town, the city of Cape Town, and some friends we had made on the trip, have a meal, and see the place if she wanted to. I was heading for my AA meeting. I walked into Central Hall, the City Hall in Cape Town, and asked one of the blocks on the inside of the door there, could he tell me where an AA meeting was? He said, yes, there's one upstairs. Go upstairs, there's a room along on the left. Walk in there and the AA meeting's there. Well, I walked upstairs and it's the poshest AA meeting I've ever been to in my life. As I walked up the stairs, I sunk to my knees and carpet. Fantastic. I walked along to this room, I tapped on the door. A gentleman walked in. A gentleman came forward. He said, can I help you? I said, yes. My name is Hugh, I'm an alcoholic, I need help. That meeting was handed over to me that night. It chokes me up when I think of it. The other meetings I've attended, 
was back in Scotland two years ago. Back in my hometown down in, Clyde, down in Clydeside in Scotland, with a return trip there to put step nine into my life. In its entirety. Not halfway, but all the way. I had to go back and front up to my own family. Owing to the fact that I went missing for a number of years during my drinking life. And when I got married for the second time, my present wife, my wife asked me one day, which, uh, did I have any family? I never spoke of them. Didn't want anyone to know about them. I had five brothers and a sister back in Scotland and a mother at that stage. And my wife asked me to write a letter to let my family know where I was. So I started off, dear, dear mother, I've settled down and remarried and all this old bull, you know, as it goes on. I was still drinking at the time. For return, of course, I got the biggest kick in the gut I've ever had in my life. My mother had died three years previously. That was hard to take. But I'm glad to say, today, I have a clear conscience. I was reunited with my son, who had deserted at the age of four or five years old, two years ago. He made me a grandfather. I was made a member of my family once again. Five brothers and a sister who are still back in Scotland. I'm the black sheep of the family. I walked out on them. AA has given me all this by constantly practicing the program to the best of my ability, keeping it simple, and staying away from the first drink for the first day, one day at a time. I can and do maintain my sobriety at all costs. Sobriety to me today is the most important possession I have in my life, all walks of life. I'm employed at present. I was an engineering inspector in England. When I came here, they wanted me to go back to university after over 20 years of practice in the trade. I couldn't send figures. I couldn't take the figures up. I've accepted life as it is today. I work in a geriatric hospital as a nursing assistant in Perth. I enjoy my work. I'm confronted with booze at times. But I know how to cope with it tonight. A has shown me how. And I'm grateful. It's very, very hard for me to say how grateful I am. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Is anybody here from uh, the United States from America? Some of you folks have heard me yesterday. I'm still an alcoholic. My name is still Chuck. Hi, everybody. Isn't this wonderful? You know, they told me that alcoholism um, uh, was a disease and that I had it. And uh, I'm glad to be a, a member of Alcoholics today. I, some of you heard that I started out in Boston, Massachusetts, and I went to California, and I've come to Sydney. And we're talking about meetings around the world, and I'd like to share some of my perceptions as an American with, about some of the meetings that I've attended here in Australia, both in New South Wales, Queensland, and, and other places. And um, um, at first, I was very fascinated by the, uh, by the drunk stories. Uh, I learned all kinds of new words, and, and uh, fair dinkum, and... Uh, <laughs> you know, always a mate instead of man, hey man, you know. Uh, and um, uh, But then after a while, uh, to be quite frank, uh, the, the meetings weren't the same as they were at home. Now, when I left Boston, Massachusetts to go to California, they told me that, um, that I would be going to a new place and there would be new AA members. And what I should do, and, and this is excellent advice for any of us to travel, is take a dime, uh, we say dime, you say 10 cent piece, take a 10 cent piece and, and put it in your shoe or put it in your pocket and uh, when you get to the airport or the bus station or something, before you pick up your baggage, go immediately to the nearest phone booth, phone box and um, uh, put the 10 cent piece in and dial AA and ask where the nearest meeting is and uh, lo and behold, I've done that when I've traveled and sometimes people say, stay where you are. Uh, when I was in Hawaii, they said, are you going to drink? And I said, geez, nobody's ever asked me that. I, I don't think so, but I am lonely, you know. <laughs> and they said, well, that's a bad sign, you know, so we'll come out and pick you up. And, uh, um, and so when I, when I went to California, they told me that, that to do that. And I did that when I went to California. And uh, that very, the first night I went there was a Sunday night. And I went to a room that was as packed as this. 
Um, it was the regular Sunday night meeting of the Campbell Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in San Jose, California. And um, uh, they, at the, the groups there uh, in the United States, we asked, are there any new members here in the first 30, 60, or 90 days? Now, if there aren't any new members, um, there's a different level of AA oftentimes than if there are people. And then we also ask, are there any visitors? And so right at the beginning of meetings um, in California, that meeting, they said, are there any, any visitors from outside the uh, San Jose area? And I, I raised my hand and I said, yeah, my name is Chuck and, and I'm new to San Jose, California, and I need friends. Well, best thing I ever did, people swarmed on me afterwards, how long you've been in AA? I was four months sober. Um, and uh, so I, I would like to urge meetings uh, that would like to learn, if you are open-minded enough to learn, if you think it might be fitting to do something like that, to ask if there are any newcomers in the first 30, 60, and 90 days, or ask if there are any um, um, visitors from outside the area. Now, uh, one of the nice things about being a visitor in, in Australia, um, and I'm deciding to make my home here, um, is that people always do ask the visitor to speak. And, you know, it is a worldwide type of uh, uh, thing. And we learn, we learn from each other. You know, I've learned so much from, from uh, alcoholics in Australia, not just from the drunkalogs, however. But let me, let me get back to that. After a while, uh, and I know how important, the, you know, to identify with the new person is and all that, but after a while, um, I was saying, geez, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for different types of meetings. And, and uh, you know, I looked around and, and they told me in the States that if I wanted to stay sober, I should go up and ask the person, whoever I hear, who has had a slip or a bust or, or um, uh, some way had a relapse, to ask them why. And, you know, the answer I got in the States a lot was, well, I, I stopped going to meetings, my work got in the way or something like that. When I asked that same question here... Uh, people said that they, they got a little bit bored or, um, now I'm not criticizing, I'm just reporting what my little research has done uh, on, on meetings in Australia. And um, I said, geez, well, why do you come back? And I said, because I can't exist without AA, you know. Well, I, I was getting, you know, gee, it wasn't like AA at home. And when I left San Jose, they told me something else. They told me, no matter, you're going to go there and there's going to be a new format there's going to be new people. They're going to do the meetings differently. They're going to have different accents. They're going to speak maybe even a different language. And you have. You've surprised me with that. Um, they said, but remember, some things stay, stay the same. And that is the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the 12 promises uh, that, that are our guarantee of what we receive, the benefits we receive from AA, uh, and the big book and the literature. The literature is, is, is all the same. And don't let the formats throw you. And remember... If you don't like what you hear, you can always go out and start another meeting. And so I had forgotten that. And I, I, I was going, starting to go to steps meetings, problem discussion meetings and everything. And then I went, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take constant drunkologues. That's just me, okay? And so I, I went to a, a group, a problem study group, and some of the members that were there that night, there was four or five people sitting around the table. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, I'm slipping away from AA. I'm getting resentful. What do I do? And somebody said, why don't you start a meeting? And somebody else said, um, well, why don't you, uh, I know where there's a venue, and that night we went down there, and uh, there were senior citizens playing uh, cards, and we went in, and we said, is this venue available on the night that there's no meetings in our generalized area? And they said, yes, this Tuesday night we're vacant. Uh, I got 14 or 15 people together and said, you know, would you like a, a, a different type of meeting, a meeting like we have in the States, a topical theme meeting where we take one topic one theme like freedom or change or responsibility or uh, the promises or, or how we stay sober one day at a time or what the day was like. We take a theme like that um, and, and we would just sit around and talk about it around a table and we wouldn't stand up and we would just say hi to each other and, and, and all that. And, and in six weeks, the meeting has doubled and they're coming from, from far away. Now, I'm, I'm not bragging uh, I'm just explaining that there are different ways of meetings and, and meetings around the world. What I'd like to urge you in conclusion to do is to get the pamphlet that, that um, GSO and, and the rest of them have called um, um, the AA group, how it functions and how to start one. And if you are dissatisfied or you know several other people who fell away from AA because they couldn't wear the same stories. And I know this is tough in country areas. That maybe they're starting a big book meeting, maybe starting a steps meeting, maybe starting a topical theme meeting, like they have in other countries, like they have in Scotland and England and Ireland and so on, and, and in America and in uh, the Far East. Maybe, maybe we'll get one more alcoholic 
one more alcoholic who would not otherwise be with us. We have unity as one of our legacies. We don't have unanimity. We're not unanimous. Most of us can't even pronounce it. We're not unanimous about anything. Isn't the diversity and the courage and, and the, the abilities that we have in this room wonderful? Look around us, you know. Um, you know, a- alcoholism has three manifestations. The, the loss of motor ability, the loss of the ability to speak and to think clearly, the debilitating effects of this disease, the, the, the cirrhosis of the liver and so on. The second manifestation of this disease is the terminal, the fatalness of it. We wipe out people in cars. We wipe ourselves out with suicide. Um, we, we die in those hospitals. We die of exploded livers. We die of heart attacks. We, we, we die. It's terminal. But there's a third manifestation of alcoholism, and that's remission. Turn to the person next to you on either side of you and look at remission. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chuck, Uh, and uh, very good dear wisdom from America. Is there anybody here from Finland or a country nearer to Finland? Would you mind come forward, please? Yeah. Uh, well, we're, well, we got a Vanessa here, so we'll call on Valentina. Hello. I'm a Valentino. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, I left Venice when I was 18. I wanted to see the world and go to as far as I could because I had too many mothers and too many fathers and I couldn't fit in. I wanted to be free to smoke as much as I wanted to and I said to my mother, if you don't sign me out, I join the foreign legion. And uh, they had to sign me. And I said, I'm going to the land of a cowboy, a pub every corner, I never see a cow in Australia. But as it is, I come up here, I never need to get drunk. Then I find out a few years later that uh, I need a wife, I marry, I never need to get drunk. I went all around Australia and I look at the drunk and I thought, uh, he can't be me, never. But the time has come. After I, I, I was a self-employer and then I went broke, the time has come when I started to drink it on purpose, to building up courage. And I knew if I drink half a bottle of claret or better one bottle, I could face anybody. You see, I've been brought up with wine instead of milk. So wine was not a problem, but I always drink in moderation. My mother used to say that uh, milk is only for the baby, for the sick, and for the old. We have a wine for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Wine for headache, wine for flu, all different wine. <laughs> and it worked because in the beginning, it no matter. You know, I owe money to the taxes to everybody. And with a bottle of claret, I, can, I could face them. But then, six months later, it didn't work anymore. I was confused, sick. I stopped eating, because if you eat too much, you can't get drunk. And there was, wife and three children. There was a war in the family every night. Six months later, I was so confused that I decided to kill myself. I was 29, father of three children, life was over for me. And I held a meeting, and I told my wife, I said, I wasn't sleeping pill by that time. I said, I'm going. And she looked at me, she said, only bloody promise. You'll never do it. And I thought, I saw her, and I can't appeal, and I, I wrote the typical letter, and then I look up, I said, God, I believe in you. Why me? What is the charge? And I thought, I would have, I said, it would be nice to take God to court, but who's coming to defend me? I started my kind, I thought, why me, taking the family? Nobody has trouble. And I light the cigarette, and there I go. One week later, I woke up to, in hospital, and people, doctors around me, they scream, it's a miracle. And I look at that doctor, I said, miracle my foot, what are you going to do with me now? He said, my God, we've been working overtime to save your life. He said, the man is sick. And he introduced me to another hospital, Callum Park, where they complete the job. And I arrive in Callum Park, and they ask me, you know where you are? I said, Callum Park has to do something with the mental. I said, that's right, you are in the right place. And they done a wonderful job, because I never knew about those Feel beautiful, old color, feel for woke up, feel for sleep, feel for everything. And you know, every time I was depressed, more pill. And it was so beautiful. One week later, I was home, drinking claret and eating pills. And that was the beginning of another 
the, what I considered at the time was a gift. I started to see color everywhere. <laughs> I, I used to change the channel, and there were beautiful women and everything. More pill and more drink, and the woman disappeared, and dinosaurs started coming, and cigarettes walking. <laughs> and so I had to do another overdose, and then another one. With my last overdose in 1969, Dr. Tommy said, take it easy with this suicide, you might get sick. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, finally, Callum Park came up with the great discovery, and they told me, he said, smile, is all over, you, you are not a nut, you are an alcoholic, because my wife thought I was a nut. See, people said to her, but you lost one drink too much, he said, oh, no, no, there's something wrong, so everybody felt sorry for me. And I asked this doctor, he said, well, what is a nut, better than to be an alcoholic? What is an alcoholic? Better than to be an artist? Oh, much better, much better. And my wife, <laughs> and, 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 and she come along, she come along, and he gave her the good news. And she, she looked at him and said, smile, your husband is an alcoholic. And she looked at him and she said, hey, oh, dare you call my husband an alcoholic. He's a nut. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's what Alcoholic is a nut. And I was there in pyjama, I said, make up your bloody mind, what am I? <laughs> And that that was the beginning of of another story. From that time on, I was rejected and wanted because if you love me, if you love your children, you should be able to stop. And I said, I love you both, but I don't know. And and, and the priest, he asked me, he said, Valentino, why you don't stop after the first bottle? I said... Father, after one body, I become another person. He said, so what? I said, this new person is just to me. <laughs> so, anyway, the dramatic, part, the dramatic story started just when my wife had enough, and she told me to leave. By this time, the ability to work as a bullymaker welder is gone, and, and I was working at the Tooth Brewery. As a cleaner, and I used to take time off for DTs, hallucination. People were talking to me in Italian there, and there was nobody talking Italian, all this. You know, and when she threw me out, I remember Boxing Day in 1974, she had enough. That's what my rock bottom. A little boy, 13 years old, and he looked at me and said, what sort of a father you are? And I left with the suitcase, I took the title. I wanted to drink, to drink the hell of the children, everything. And I landed in King's Cross, where I'm still living. And there was a team of Italia, and all drunk, and they told me, you need a drink, forget about that bitch. And I, I agree. <laughs> and, uh, and one by one, I saw, I saw the, this man going. They, they, they stopped working, they start to drink metal ice spirit, and they all dead. They all had peace of mind and serenity. They all got sober in that way. Rockwood. But I wonder, I didn't have the courage to kill myself anymore. And I cry. I used to use Lenton Clinic and Callum Park. Callum Park and Lenton Clinic. And Callum Parker told me never, never to be readmitted again. We told you you are not a nut, you are an alcoholic. I said, how can I come in? He said, another overdose. And I didn't want to. <laughs> and Lenton Clinic, I knew I was an alcoholic. You know, I went back to Lenton Clinic for 16 times because I wanted to get away with the first thing. And I got news for all of you. If you are an alcoholic, a drink is too many, it's too. You, know, you can't. You can't be an exception to the rule. I thought... Everybody drink in Italian, you know, but I, I couldn't. So, 16 times to prove what? Nothing. Lenton Clinic in Callum Park. Callum Park used to put me with a wet brain and point out that I would be next. And do you think fair stopped me to drink? Not at all. I had to get a drunk to forget what I saw there. Nothing did stop me. Something stopped me in 1975 when, when I went by myself to an I.I. meeting at San Vincent's Hospital. And there was the light Bruce from Mali. He talked about God. He said, if God is not in this room, he's not in anywhere. But then he said, God as you understand him. You know, the, the God I've been brought up to believe was a God of fear. I remember the Good Friday, you had to cry. That was compulsory because Jesus had been crucified. If you couldn't cry, they beat you up as a kid. I can't. <laughs> and I remember, the, you know, all that. How could I go to, 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 to that God? But, you know, this is, this is my, my drinking story. I, I had to go even with the Salvation Army. And they made me work six, six days a week at Morissette. And I thought, this is the biggest mob after I Capone. And I left. <laughs> I couldn't. 
But, but, uh, but this was the drinky story, you know, about 35 times in hospital with five attempt suicide. From Callum Park, 1975, which I lent to McKinnon, to Venice, Italy as a tourist, 1980. You know, I started to reconnect with Italy. I left my mother there and she couldn't believe I was alive. She's, it was 87 when I landed there. And I decided to go to Piamen to that woman. She saw me off at Aiting and never saw me back. You know, and Father Peter used to tell me, when you're ready, you, you, you will know. I come to Griffith in 1980 to tell the, the other Italian that there is a way out, that no need to, 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 to drink to death, try to spread the, the message. And then finally, I, I was convinced it would be all right. And I booked a ticket and I landed in Rome, you know. And I was full of fear. But I used to say the serenity prayer in English, in Italian, in any Venetian language. I said, please, don't leave me here. I didn't know nobody anymore after 28 years, you know. I called mom to my sister, she was there. She looked so alike, because when I left in 1952, you know. And then when I arrived in Venice after, you know, from Rome, we got to Venice, and I saw my mother, she threw away the stick, and she looked up, she said, God, I'm ready to go now. My youngest is coming back. Yeah. Wonderful. And two weeks later, I, I, I was faced with the fact, or to come back to Australia, or to find I high in Italy. And I told my mother, I said, I had to go to, back to Rome. I got to see the, this I.I. And I went to Rome and I asked my niece, is there any I.I. member? Yes. She said, we have a senator in I.I. He resigned from the political view because alcoholism. And he didn't give a damn. She told me where they meet. And I went to that little tiny meeting in Vianapoli in Rome. You know. And then I attend other meetings and other meetings. Today, I consider I.I. the biggest family in the world. Wherever you go is I.I. meeting. You know, it's beautiful. You see, so doctor, priest, my mother-in-law, my wife, nothing else for me to drink, but I, I did. Yeah. I reconnected with, with my children, which I thought they were lost for good, ten years later. My mother told me in Italy, she said, I would pray for, for you after death, that for two things, to give up smoking is killing you. I was smoking under cigarette a day, and for you to see your children. You know, he passed away in January, and I realized that I gave up smoking, and I saw my children. Isn't it wonderful? The promise of AI, I got back everything. I divorced my wife, they never promised me my wife back AI, otherwise I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not wonderful. And, uh, you know, so it, it can be done. You know, it, it, life is a gift, it is a gift from God. It, it's beautiful to be alive, it's beautiful to be sober. No need to go back to Callum Park or to any other hospital, you know. I was so confused and so sick at one stage that in the next room there was my mother-in-law and my wife playing for my funeral. They said, what we are going to do with his body. People of a little faith. They didn't know. Today they disappoint. But I'm happy to be alive. <laughs> I'm happy to be, you know, a member of this, this uh, big family. In Italy they asked me, if I'm still Italian or Australian, I said, neither. I'm a sober member of I.I., citizen of the world. Wherever you go, you are at home. So, life is beautiful. I try the best I can to go across to other Italians, but it's very, very hard because it's part of our culture. We, we've been brought up with wine. It's very hard to accept and uh, to be alcoholic. You know, I, I was like a little kid emotionally, in an old adult person. But I was ready and be willing to learn. I gave myself up to the expert. I got a sponsor, two sponsors. And I, I, I'm humble enough to ask, ask for help when I'm in trouble. So day by day, I'm learning to live, to live a beautiful, clean, honest life. In a three weeks' time, I'm take off again. At this time, I'm going around the world because this is so bright. Freedom. You know, I, I do not live in fear anymore. I can go anywhere in the world. And I'm pretty sure, wherever I go, where is I, I, I am at home. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you very much, Valentina. And one thing I'd like to share with you here this evening, it's a little bit of a personal nature, but what happened to me too, that even through my alcoholism and that, that there never was a woman in my life because I... Uh, never had time to uh, uh, go around with women and that sort of thing because it got in the road of me drinking. So 
what it was that uh, the year before last uh, I, I was starting to think about uh, uh, getting married sort of thing because uh, I'm starting to get up a bit in years and long in the tooth and things like that and what it was that uh, I started praying sort of thing I'm just bringing a bit of Christian into it but it was spiritual too but what it is that I started praying for uh, to, to get married and uh, it, it eventuated on the uh, 7th August last uh, year it was that uh, I got married for the first time in my uh, life, I think, and what it was that it was the most traumatic experience for me that I could do something without a drink, I think, because what it is that I used to have to have a drink for any other type of thing, occasion or anything like that, even I used to invent things so that I could have this drink, I think, so... What it is that I'm very grateful of Alcoholics Anonymous for helping me to uh, to achieve something in life where that I didn't think it was possible and gave me uh, something what's really worthwhile. So I'll call on anybody here from any of the islands or around the country, uh, well, something like uh, uh, Scotland. Well, hello everybody. I'm Betty. I'm an alcoholic. I hope a recovering alcoholic. Uh, it's very difficult to stand up here because I haven't been in the fellowship very long. Uh, and uh, I was saying in the car coming over, uh, I came away from home to sort of harden off because I felt I was uh, I was growing too fast in, in AA, and uh, it was time I, I cooled off a bit. Uh, and uh, in the car I said, I, I'm like a trivid. If any of you have read uh, the, the world of the trivids, they're plants that grow and grow fast and grow into everything and over everything and <coughs> just take over. Uh, it's going to be very hard for me to go back to my own group. I hope it's not going to be hard. Uh, but now when I think of this, this for me is, is absolute... It, this is fantasy, but the funny thing about it is it's real. I mean, I don't know whether, uh, well, my head are in the clouds, my, my feet are, are on the ground. I owe everything I have to AA. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And if anybody had told me a little over a year ago uh, that I would be standing uh, speaking at an Australian convention, I would have thought they were nuts, quite nuts. It's very, very difficult to follow Valentina and Chuck because they've said it all. I wish I could make you laugh like Valentina did. I was desperate when I came into AA and I started going to my home group meeting and I was restless, I was frightened. I saw that some people had what I wanted. I was told, well, you've got to go out and get your own. Uh, we'll share our experience with you, uh, but you've got to go and find your own sobriety and eventually, we hope, your own serenity. It depends how you work at it. To begin with, I, I couldn't take the uh, I couldn't take big book or the steps at all. I went to different meetings. They were nearly all sharing meetings, meetings of about 12 to 15 people round the table, each sharing their experience, strengths and hope. Then I began to find that I needed the big book. But if I read it myself, I skimmed over it and didn't really read it properly. I discovered there was a big book meeting not far away, and I started going to it. And I got a great deal from it. There is, I discover again in my locality, a step meeting, which I haven't been to yet. I'm going back home with a lot of uh, ideas. I think any one place tends to stagnate a little. Uh, we need an infusion of ideas uh, from from other places. Uh, the meetings in London are different again from the meetings I've been to in Scotland. Uh, they tend to be rather larger and uh, the chairman throws the meeting open to any speaker. Uh, with us up in Scotland we tend just to pick on people by name 
maybe straight round the table, maybe here, there, in the next place. Uh, if the chairman knows the people, then he or she will choose somebody perhaps to begin with who's got a bit of sobriety, then a newcomer, or somebody fairly recently in. Uh, I do vaguely remember my first meeting. I found it somewhat embarrassing because I was told over and over again, you are the most important person in this room tonight. The whole meeting was geared for me. And I thought, you know, who am I? I mean, I've only come in to give this AA as kind of sporting chance. I'll have it all wrapped up in a week or two anyway. No way. Uh, there are life sentences and life sentences. AA for me is a life sentence, and I have enjoyed every minute of it. I've made friends. I've done things that never, ever did I think I would do. And coming down here in the car, I've been threatening to give up smoking for a long time. There are a lot of people. Somebody's only got to tell me, to, you can't do it. And that makes me want to do it. You know, Thrown as the devil, these Scots. Um, if I chuck the cigarette, I've been doing some accounting in the car. If I chuck the cigarettes and really stick to it, I'll have very nearly enough to come back next year. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing so much with me. And uh, uh, being here, even if I never come again, it's a visit that I will never, ever forget. And I will never, ever forget my first big convention. I've been to the Easter Scotland mini convention. I've been to the England, Scotland blue bonnets. And believe me, the English and the Scots can meet in peace if they're in AA. Uh, that was a sublime experience. Uh, but life gets better. They say it gets better. And I stand here saying, who am I to deserve all this? What has AA done for me? I don't deserve it. Thank you so much all for listening. Thank you, Connie Teddy from Scotland. Uh, it normally here in Australia too that we uh, read uh, a piece of the chapter five uh, out work sort of thing. So uh, can I just sort of nominate somebody there by pointing to uh, read it out, please? Uh, uh, the gentleman here. Hmm? Here, brother. My name's Lindsay and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Chapter 5 on how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not, <coughs> pardon me, nervous, completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided what you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. That's some of these we bought. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling and powerful. Without help, it's too much for us. For if there's one who has, has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which I suggested as a program of recovery. Step one, 
We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice principles in all our affairs. I usually read a little bit further if it's alright. Many of us explained what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter of the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A. That we are alcoholic and could not manage our lives. B. Probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C. That God could and would if he were sought. Thank you. Okay, uh, what it is to in future that uh, when there's a speaker comes up, would you please uh, 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 speak up more closer to the microphone? I just had a little bit of a minor complaint way down the back there so I think that people down in the back of the all there can't hear so what it is will you uh, speak up into the microphone please uh, has anybody here from Ireland good afternoon everybody my name is Eddie and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I suppose I'm more of an Aussie than I am an Irishman. I've been out here about 23 years. I arrived out here in 1959. Uh, I'm not very long in the fellowship. I'm only in the fellowship uh, three months. So I'll have very little to say. I'm certainly very grateful to be given the opportunity to get up and uh, say just a few words. Uh, I picked up my first drink when I was 17, and I put it down last New Year's Eve. Uh, I went to my first meeting down in Linfield, in Sydney. I had already uh, obtained a sponsor by then. It only took me 12 hours to get a sponsor. So I'm very lucky in that regard too. And I'm very grateful to him for that. Uh, I drank for the effect when I drank. And uh, boy, I loved it. I loved the taste and I loved the effect. And it was over the last, probably the last two years of my drinking that I really, I really went out of my mind. A uh, couple of quick bereavements in my family really sent me to the bottle. People whom I was very close to and dearly loved uh, departed, and uh, I thought there was nothing left in life for me, so I hit the bottle, and I hit it hard. I used to take off with the fairies every night, and uh, the people closest to me used to say to me, you know, you've got a drink problem, why don't you do something about it, and... I used to say, oh, you know, I haven't got a problem. I couldn't have a problem. I'm not even 40. 
So, uh, anyway, I did have a problem, and I, my sponsor spoke to me one night, and, and it was only then that I realized that I had a problem, a real bad drinking problem. And I decided I'd helped enough people to do something about it. And I did. I went to my first meeting, and I identified straight away. And that made it a little bit easier for me, because I thought when I went in that room that everybody in there was mad, and I was sane, you know. And the second speaker that got up, I identified with him, and I really liked the people who were there. They had something I didn't have. And they showed me love and affection that I have never seen before in my life. And that is why I'm still with AA. And if I can get as much back into the program in 12 months as I've got out of it in three, well, I'll be very happy, man. And I thank you all very much for listening. Thank you very much. Uh, is there anybody here from uh, Canada? My name's Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I really can't tell you anything about AA in Canada because I took my first step here in Australia 10 months ago, and I just am overwhelmed and awed about being here, the, the sharing, the really caring, and the fellowship. Um, I drank for a long time to escape reality, and um, I don't want to do that anymore. And I. I had known about AA for some time, but I thought, well, that, that's great for other people, but I don't need it. Well, I realized I need it very much, and I just want to get the most and, and listen and learn from this weekend. I think it's terrific. Thanks very much. Thank you, so dear. And is there anybody from uh, Germany? Good afternoon. My name is Fred. I am an alcoholic. Hi. Thank you. Well, my story is uh, I've been drinking in Germany a lot too. I came over to Australia in 1951. I promised my mother to change my, uh, my life here, keep up drinking, start a better family here. And so I came over. I was very strong this time. I uh, give up the drinking. I'm bricklayer from Trite. And the first four years, I worked very hard, a lot of overtimes, and made good money, bought lands, and built myself a little house. I go in touch with a girl over in Germany. She wants to come out. On that day, where she should be in Australia, she wasn't on the ship. And the captain told me she left in Singapore. And that hits me very hard. And Alcohol was, I tasted before, and then I spilled, I spilled my sorrow down in the pub, and uh, that'd be my start off again. So, I go back to Tasmanian, where I be, and uh, I 
start drinking happier and so I start to have chest compliance and I've been up by the doctors and so he said better you change the climate your chest then. I never told him how much I drink or anything and uh, so I sold everything my land and my house and my car. I came over to Sydney and plenty of money. I want to have an holiday. And that told me a lot in Tasmania for the King's Cross. Yeah, French died in luxury flat wine when the song starts and never stops for a good while. And the money runs low. But not too low, I start to work again. But not my break liar than Tasmanian. I got a bad accident with my back. I start seat middle worker. And, uh, well, you always find fellas that I have a couple after work. Fred was in with him. And so, uh, my drinking starts. Nightly then, then it starts the visit at 10 o'clock at night, and Saturday, Sunday, right through in the clubs and everywhere. And I start to get crooked sometimes, but not so far. And later on, my friend said to me, my son got his 21st birthday. We come, I hope you want, I'd like to come. I say, oh yes, I'll be in it. He said, no worry, plenty beer there. I said, that's all right. And I will be drunk, my friend and I. Sunday morning he rang me up. Fred, can you drive me in the club? And oh yes, I say, all right, I'm coming. I got a big help myself. And, uh, I'd open up in the club. I, we only want a couple. Usually couple. And I wouldn't stay by the cover. We'd be there 10 o'clock in the morning when we'd get kicked out at night, 10 o'clock, in the club. And I was sick, crook the next day. I hardly could drive my car here, and as I told me, an early opener in Auburn, Sydney. To be my first early opener I ever be. From that time on, I started drinking and never stopped, really. This I have to go, I give up the job myself. I never got to think about it. I start on a little jobs. My last job being on the uh, Stratfield Council. Easy job, but too much drink for me. I couldn't handle it. And so my uh, sickness here and my legs and everything, so I have to give up. That put me an invalid pension. And I still got money left, and also I invalid pension, that money, that lasts a long time. Well, it did really, but I make a couple of, holid couple of holidays for myself, and uh, so money runs slow. Uh, I'm not worried, I got my pension, and there I start my last two years of drinking. Starts very bad with me. I start to uh, get violence. Start in the hotel balls and everything. I've been arrested several times. I know the cell in and outside there in King's Cross. And uh, so the magistrate called me. If I not stop the drink, so I put me away. Well, I couldn't have it. I get kicked out of boarding houses. I have to sleep under the harbor bridge in Hyde Park and trouble starts always. I couldn't more. I go back to the old landlady and ask her if she likes to take me back. I will be a good man from now on. I had never this. That's one day I collapsed on the grog and I drank plonk and meso. And uh, 
she panicked and she put me in the hospital by ambulance. Well, the doctor told me there I am an alcoholic. I wouldn't believe it. So they sent me up to a home in uh, Tyler Square, Campbell House. And so I learned there through meetings that I be an alcoholic. Then I, I give me all the answers I need. And my first meeting I attending there is we like the most of us hardly anything. I only could read the steps, traditions and serenity fire. I didn't know the meaning. And further on I be there in the home for two years. And that two years done me good. I go to to meetings. They asked me for steps meeting there and by step two came to believe that the power greatest ourselves could restore serenity. Well, from that day on, I attending meetings regularly, and this my two years been up there, and I couldn't stand it more. I told the welfare officer I want to change to home. I get myself a room and New and uh, new town, that'd be the worst what I did. And there I only stood a half year over. I start to go to meetings for the first time, but I always start to get feel lonely and forgot to go to meetings and that'd be my down again. I start to drink again very sudden and I nearly drunk myself to death and I be admitted to Prince Alfred Hospital. I be there for three and a half months. They sent me out to from there they sent me out to North Wolf. From North Wolf I be there for a little while. Then I got myself a flat in Hamilton, Newcastle. And there is uh, I, our neighbor, they got a lot of canaries. I love them little birds. And he asked me to give him a hand out and yes, all right. Sometimes I couldn't go to meeting. I know it was wrong. And very sudden he got the bird shows and by one of the bird shows he gave me the resentment. And I couldn't cope it. Start to drink again, but only a short time. Then I have to give myself up in uh, in Watch Street in Newcastle in the institution. My landlord now alcoholics. Then uh, some of his relatives been alcoholics, and so my first admitting there. We are right. I get discharged after a short time. I've been told not much to touch light spirits. But no, no, all right. But about one half week, week later, I've been in Sydney and uh, meet a couple of friends of mine. That was the end of it. Through anger to lose my friends, I stuck into it again. But only for a week, I have to go back to New to Watch Street and that be my last bus. I've been now nearly four years sober. I'm very grateful to I what I did. On my last bus, I got myself two sponsors, and uh, I'm very grateful to him. Then I did everything possible for Fred to slice over. And I've been going a lot to meetings, especially beginners' meeting in Morrisville Hospital. Then steps meetings, then the book study meeting. That's what I learned a lot of. And very sudden we go up here to the Riley in Armadale two years ago. And I really loved Armadale from the first day on. Nice, quiet little city for me. Not like Newcastle or Sydney. It's too big for me and uh, I really love it and enjoy it.
he I start to keep myself busy. I came in the house, my house, the Freeman house. I start to wash the dishes, clean the floors, and uh, help in the garden. And we got car wash to do. And so that keeps my time over the time busy. Then I start an attack, an English course. And through my English course, I got the uh, show card and ticket riding. I'm very glad with it. That keeps me more busy. The main important things for me is at night time to go to so many I.I. meetings I ever can go. That's why I stay over. Thanks for listening. Have we got anybody here from New Zealand who'd like to speak? Hello everyone, my name's Dears and I'm alcoholic. I've been nosing now six weeks, I'm living up in Beulah. So I've got Beulah here, because it's a good little town. But uh, I got sober in New Zealand Christchurch, you know, and uh, I guess now I live where I hang my hat. But I'm sober through this fellowship. I got sober in New Zealand. I've never had a drink of Australian beer. But, but uh, I served the hits in the Navy. I've been all around the world as a youngster. I learned to drink. I learned to drink the hard way. But I consider myself no way was I an alcoholic. Everyone called me an alcoholic, they're getting a punch in the nose, you know. But uh, I've learned a lot since then. I've managed to stop, stop sober now, just on seven years. And it's through you people. AA to me is the same anywhere. I've been in, to um, meetings all over New Zealand. I've been to a few here now in Aussie. First time I've ever been here. But it's good, you know. And uh, I stick around. I was at a con convention in... Christchurch in New Zealand oh, about five years ago. I was in a university like this. I remember going to this big hall and they all standing around. They're looking at a big picture up on the wall and had all these Rhodes Scholars. And I said to one of them, oh, I was a Rhodes Scholar. And they all looked at me. I said, I walked, worked on the bloody roads for years, you know. <laughs> but I've knocked around. i got a bit of Irish in me, a bit of Portuguese and a bit of Maori, you know. And uh, it's a sad thing for me, they spoke about Polynesians last night. In New Zealand there's very, very few Maoris in the fellowship. Same as few, very few Ab Aboriginals here, I suppose. But I guess it's a different way of life. And a lot of my Maori cobbers are dead because I've worked with them and a hang of a lot of them died around the age of 45 to 50. Good mates, but they were covered up, you know, their, their parents and wouldn't recognise that they had a problem with the booze. And they died drinking it. One of my best mates died drinking it. I lived in the house with him. And he never went out of the house for a year. And I think it was mainly Father Martin. I got sober through Father Martin's chalk talk. I reckon I was the first New Zealand to get sober through that film. And I owe a lot to the Americans. I was there during the war. But I didn't see much of it. I was blind drunk. I remember going from San Diego up to Los Angeles for a trip to Hollywood and I never bloody seen Hollywood. The same here in Williamstown. I think in 48, we pulled into Williamstown Pier there on a the ship. I got to the end of the pier in a bloody pub and I roped myself off in the pub. That's crazy alcoholism. And no way would I consider myself an alcoholic. But I've learnt through this fellowship and it took me a long time to accept it. First couple of years, I know it. I knew I was, no, I was in big problems, you know, but I wouldn't accept it. When I started to accept it, I started to live a bit. I was married for 24 years. And my missus one day said, I've finished. I said, what's the, what's the matter with you? What do you mean you're finished? She said, I've had enough. I had a nice home because I provided for her. But I was on the booze all the time, you know. I worked hard. That was another thing. I flogged heavy transport for years. And that way, I thought, how could I be a bloody alcoholic? I'd flog these things around all over the country. 
But I, I realised afterwards that uh, as soon as I got behind the wheel, I sobered up because I knew if I made it blue, it would be my last one. And that's the way it is. And I reckon in England I was reading where the lorry drivers was seventh on the list for alcoholism. Those are fallacies, you know, that about it that a lot of people don't understand. When I first seen Father Martin's chalk talk, a guy got up and he said, my name's Trevor and I'm an alcoholic. And he was well dressed. I looked and I looked at him and I thought, bullshit, you know. He was well dressed and he said, I'm an alcoholic. And I just happened to wander in there, but I know there must have been some fella who guided me there, but, but I seen that film. And at that time, my missus had left me and I'd been on the booze for three years. I was shaking like a leaf. And I seen the film, I said, hell, I'm an alcoholic. There's a way out. And I took it. I haven't had a drink since. But it was bloody tough. I remember when I first went down to South Island, I took off. When, when she took off, I took off. So I went down to South Island, so I get away from this lot. I put a bit of water between us, you know. So I went across this Cook Strait and went down to South Island. I really got into it. I used to drink in the pub, and they say, Hey, Dez, are you married? I said, Oh, my, my wife passed on. And, and they said, Oh, sorry about that. I said, Oh, she only passed on another bloody town, you know. <laughs> oh, it was worth a laugh, but I was crying in the gut. But I used to, used to say those things. I said, Oh, my missus went shopping, you know, and uh, she never come home. And I said, they said, How long ago? was that? I said, well, about seven years ago. I said, but I went looking for her after a couple of years, you know, but, but all the time I was crying. And I used to get on the booze and try and forget it, but I couldn't. And it was great, you know, to get sober. And they told me, my sponsors told me, they said, you've got to get out where you're living, dear. She got no, no show of making it here. So I thought, oh, hell, you know. But they had good mates, but they were drinking. I know now they're alcoholics. One died and I don't know, I think the rest of them passed on, I think, but I took off from there and I went to live in the caravan. I lived in the caravan on my own for eight years. Big caravan. I'd done it the hard way. I'm glad I did, because for this mad bloody Irish son of a bitch, I think it's it was the way I had to have it, because I had to learn the hard way. And, I, you know, I shook and I bloody clawed myself up that bloody caravan, I think, but I stopped sober because I knew that I was in trouble if I drank, drunk. And that stuck with me. I had me rough days, you know. I can go into a town now. I settled down at an AA meeting. I travel a lot. Still do. I'm up with my son up in Beulah. Good little place. Only little place, you know. There's a pub right there and I've never seen the inside of it. That's a miracle for me. But uh, I'm hanging in there. And it's good to be here. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.